This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Guys, welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. It is an honor and a privilege to gather together as the body of Christ, as a family of believers. As I always say, if you're a guest with us, um, we are just a small expression of the body of Christ here at Harvest. We, we love God and we love people. And because of that, we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. Church family, what is the vision? The vision of Harvest is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through what? Community, discipleship, and outreach. And so this is our vision, the direction that we're headed. Everything we do centered around this. And so for the last couple of weeks, um, I, I started talking about what does it mean to be a Christian? Because that can be a vague word these days. Anybody can call themselves Christian today. And it can mean just about anything to where it's confusing. You look at people around you, it's hard to model your life after people who call themselves Christians sometimes because it means something different to so many different people. And that's why I told you, I came to a place where I, I, I'd rather refer to myself as a Christ follower because it, it's, it's not just who I am, it's, it's what I do. Well, and it is who I am. <laughs> I am a Christ follower and it, the proof of that is that it's what I do with my life. I follow Jesus, right? And so I left you a couple weeks ago. What do we, as Christians, what do we believe? I gave you a few things. We believe that nobody is born a Christian. You think because you're born into a Christian family or you were raised in the church, you're a Christian. No, you are reborn a Christian, right? It's intentional. It takes effort. In humility, we recognize that we were sinful and that God sent his love through the perfect person of Jesus, right? So what do we do? We accept Jesus' perfect payment for our sins, for our transgressions, we recognize that salvation is a gift of grace that we receive by faith. And it cannot be earned, right? I don't know about you, but I just can't be that good enough. As Christ followers, we don't just learn and know the word. We live it and we live it out loud. Amen? Jesus is the word. We are his body so we are the embodiment of the word in the earth. You guys see that? I'm more excited than you are. But we talked about how the world, and sometimes even folks in the church, view God as this great cosmic being that's watching for us as, as his children to do something wrong so he can drop coal in our stockings. The reality is, it's not true, right? The reality is that even after receiving Christ, there's nothing we can't do. We still have free will after receiving Jesus that we had beforehand. And God didn't violate our free will before we received him, and he won't violate our free will after we receive Jesus, right? So there's nothing you can't do. But... If you've received Jesus, the Bible says that you're a new creation. If you've surrendered your life, then the Bible says that all things become new, right? So something should be changing. Something should be different. We should be grieved by sin. 
we should at least have some desire and passion to emulate and model our life after our new master, who is Jesus, right? Does this mean we're not going to mess up? Nope, we're still wearing flesh, right? And we still live in a fallen world. And so what we recognize as Christians, though, is that we have put sin behind us, right? That's why we repent. Not saying I'm sorry, but turning from it. We recognize that we're a work in progress, but we are forgiven, right? So what do we do when we mess up? We repent, turning from our sin. We make things right, and we move forward with Jesus in confidence that we're forgiven. We don't have to live in condemnation and shame and guilt, right? Uh, I, I gave you a couple things. I'll just hit real quick. Last week, I told you we started in Galatians chapter 5. And I told you Paul gives us three warnings. The first thing he tells us that as we make, take spiritual ground, he says to hold your ground, right? Because every time we take a spiritual step forward, every time we overcome, every time we get free of something else in our life, there's an enemy who wants to take that ground back from us. So we've got to hold our ground. We can't give him any wiggle room in our lives. We've got to know who we are, the authority we've been given. And we've got to recognize the Bible says that if we resist the enemy, he will flee. Hold your ground, right? The second thing he tells us at the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, we're warned not to go back into bondage. As Christ followers, because of Jesus, through grace, we have been declared free from the curse of sin, from the curse of the law, which we talked about some last week. But we can make the, descendant, the decision to step back into bondage in areas, right? How many of you have been there? <laughs> Y'all are about perfect. Awesome. I need to stop right here. What do we do when we make that decision to step back into bondage? What have we done? We're abusing grace, the grace that we've been given. And we're using the freedom that God has given us to fulfill our selfish desires. It's not what God intended. What we're doing is we're stepping out of the fullness of freedom and we're stepping back into bondage in certain areas of our lives. And next thing you know, we're dealing with condemnation and guilt and shame and things that we weren't meant to carry. Burdens that we gave up. When we surrendered to Jesus, we've been declared free. You choose, we're choosing bondage over selfish desires and choosing bondage over, over freedom. Grace doesn't give us a license to sin. It frees us and empowers us to live a life free of the curse of sin. But it's still our choice, right? And the last thing I told you or that Paul told us in verse 13, I think, was don't use your freedom selfish, selfishly. So again, we can run forward and we can do whatever we want. As Christians. But if we choose to do that in the flesh, then what we're doing is we're going back into bondage, the bondage of sin again. We're giving up some of our freedom. So, what is the measurement? What is the dividing line between how we're to use our freedoms and how we're not to use our freedoms? We read it in Galatians 5:13 that if we're using our freedoms to satisfy our selfish human fleshly desire, then we are using freedom selfishly and we're abusing God's grace. Everybody understand? And just like before we received Jesus, we will still suffer the physical consequences of sin in this earth, right? Right? 
God doesn't want us to be in bondage. And so he equipped us in every possible way to live free of sin. But it is ultimately up to us. And so we move on in Galatians chapter 5. We get to verse 16. And you guys can follow along. You can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app if you have that. If you want the link directly to get to it, scan that code on the back of your chair. And guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run right on through this. I've got so much. Um, y'all just stick with me and, and I'm just believing you're going to get the heart of what the Holy Spirit is saying here. But if you get to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, if you're in the New King James Version, there's a subtitle right before verse 16. And it says, Walking in the Spirit. And several verses later is where we have what we're familiar with as the fruit of the Spirit, right? So as we grow, um, as we grow through a life of surrender in our relationship with the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, there should be a natural byproduct. That byproduct is called fruit. You get that? As we walk, as we grow in our relationship with the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit, there should be a natural byproduct being fruit. So what does this mean? As I said earlier, as you develop your relationship with the Lord through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, there should be a change in your life. Your heart should begin to change. Your attitude should begin to change. Your responses should begin to change. The fruit that comes forth from our life is not our salvation, but it's the evidence of it, right? So, does the, does the Holy Spirit do supernatural? Does he do supernatural things? Yes. Does he use us to do supernatural works? Absolutely he does. And that's what many people, especially in the Spirit-filled church, think of today. But guys, I'm not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit right now. I'm not even talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand, I, I taught about a year and a half ago on the Holy Spirit. One of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is he brings conviction and he draws us to the Father. So many of you have a moment where you remember in your life, it may have been in a service, you may have been all by yourself, but your heart was beaten, you felt something you hadn't felt before, and you called out to the Lord. That was the Holy Spirit. That was him working in your life in that moment. And remember, the greatest supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is to make somebody a new creation, is to bring somebody to Christ. He is within us when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. But note, I'm not talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit again. That's a separate experience that we can, we'll, we'll talk about another time. But the Holy Spirit's power is more than just to enable us to walk in supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And I'm going to give you three things today. Follow along with me here. I'm going to give you three things I want you to, I want you to get. Number one, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life pleasing to God. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a life pleasing to God. Now, so look, life is a journey. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes along and he empowers us in this journey from doing what pleases the flesh to doing what pleases God. How many of you know that's not easy sometimes? Sometimes that journey is a little difficult in this life. But he didn't call us to walk it alone. We've been given the Holy Spirit 
We've been given the word of God. We've been given the body of Christ in our church family to help develop us into the person that God called us to be. So when we surrender, the fruit of the Spirit should begin to come forth from our lives. So many of you know in Galatians chapter 5, you go to verse 22, that's where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to read it a few times today, but read it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is, say it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, let me give you a little bit of history for just a minute. The letter of Galatians, you guys know it's a letter, right? The letter of Galatians was written by who? The Apostle Paul. And as far as we can tell, Paul traveled and he ministered in this region. It was in Turkey, uh, just east of Ephesus, this region called Galatia. And he visited there. We know of three major missionary journeys that Paul did in the Bible, right? And he visited Galatia all, during all three of those journeys. And during one of those, he establishes a church. And that's who he's writing this letter to, right? He's writing to the church, the believers in Galatia. Now, Many of these early converts in Galatia were Jews. And you, you got to think again, this is quite a ways from Israel. But remember, guys, remember back to the exile that we studied last year? We were going through the story. Jews had been spread all over the known world. And so there were settlements of Jews all over the place. And so there's all these Jews in Galatia. So many of these early converts we know were Jewish. And they had had this experience of freedom that comes through a relationship with Jesus. Unfortunately, their freedom was being challenged by a group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers um, were, were saying something completely different. They were teaching that before anybody could receive like the, the, the full blessings of God through Jesus, that they had to first become Jewish. They had to be, males had to be circumcised. Then you could receive Jesus as your Savior. And we know that it got so bad, it got to the point that to where some of these guys were following Paul from town to town. And they're challenging and they're contradicting his teachings. They were accusing him of preaching a watered-down faith. They were trying to refute him and silence him. And you thought cancel culture was something new. Mm -mm, not new. The result of this teaching was a horrible church split. And unfortunately, it fell. That dividing line ended up being between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were anybody that weren't Jewish, right? Here's the funny thing. Both groups had surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. They were both Christians. But these Judaizers are coming along and they're teaching the law. And it splits the church. The church became focused on race and ethnicity and law rather than focused on Jesus. 
and it caused a lot of issues. So Paul writes to this divided church in Galatia to remind them of the freedom that comes from a relationship with Jesus and comes by grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go back for a minute. We're going to go back to Galatians chapter 1. This is right at the very beginning as Paul opens this letter to these folks. Here's what he says. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not really another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let me read it to you from the Passion Translation. Look at this. This is how Paul is opening his letter to the Galatian church. I am shocked over how quickly you have strayed away from the anointed one who called you to himself by his loving mercy. I'm frankly astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. That is a fake gospel. Somebody say fake news. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is a fake gospel. That's simply not true. There is only one gospel, the gospel of the Messiah. You, yet you have allowed those who mingle law with grace to confuse you with lies. I'm trying to set it up in you to see why Paul is writing these things, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church in Galatia. And Paul is so frustrated by this that if you go on down a couple verses to verse 9, he says, I will make it clear Anyone, no matter who they are, that brings a different gospel than the grace gospel that you have received, let them be condemned and cursed. Brother, serious. You see it? So all this confusion is dividing the church. And this is, so this is why Paul is writing. He's basically saying the only answer is to return to the grace and the freedom of the gospel of Jesus. So in Galatians, it's made clear that it's the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and empowers us to walk in freedom. It's because of his work that we no longer have to walk in bondage to our fleshly desires. And as a result, as we walk in the Spirit, he creates, he brings forth the fruit of the Spirit in our life. What are the fruit? Same again. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guys, these are the things that should be bubbling out of us that people notice first in our lives. Because it affects the words that we say and the way that we carry ourselves and how we respond in situations and how we treat others. But Paul was writing to the Christians in Galatia because they were struggling with the works of the flesh. And many of them even thought that these works of the flesh were even godliness. Remember I talked about the law last week? Some of them were going along and they were keeping score by checking off the boxes of rules and regulations. Kept that one. I kept that one. I kept that one. I kept that one. I'm good. All good. But on the other hand, you had people that were using their freedoms to totally fulfill the desires of the flesh. And the funny thing is, I was thinking about this, guys. Listen, the funny thing is, whether you're trying to keep the law, you're trying to, you're trying to please God by living up to laws and, and rules and regulations, or whether you're using the freedom that God has given you abusively and you're using it to just simply appease your flesh, one way or the other, it leads to the same thing. 
It leads to condemnation. It leads to a critical, judgmental spirit. It leads to competitiveness and trying to measure up. And it'll never happen. And it all occurs because we're trying to live up to a standard other than the standard of the love of Jesus. Look at Romans 13. Many of you know this. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Do you guys see that? For the commandments, like he's, he's given the example of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Guys, that, that's the answer to everything right there. First demonstrated through Jesus. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life that's pleasing to God, but that brings us to number two. Second thing I want to mention is the law of the New Testament is the law of love. That is the law. That's why, that's where we're at in Galatians chapter 5. Paul is confronting people who have backslid into sin by rejecting or turning away from the finished work of Jesus to either re-embrace the law or to fulfill their own sinful desires. As I said, grace and freedom are not by any means a license of sin. Back in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. You want to know if you've gotten off course in your freedoms? There's your answer right there. If you're using your freedoms to satisfy your sinful nature, you're going the wrong direction. But Paul is writing because some of them were using their freedom to sin because they had this perverted view of grace and of the work of Jesus. And then others thought they were holy because they were able to check off a list of rules and regulations. And they too had a perverted view of grace and the work of Jesus. And like I said, that just leads to a critical judgmental spirit and not being able to measure up. So Paul sets them straight uh, and calls them out on, on their abuse of freedom and grace. If you go down, in verse, back in Galatians chapter 5, if you go down to verse 16, look at what Paul says. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, what's it say? You are not under the law. Now, I, I was thinking about this. I think there's a number of reasons that this is having to be written specifically to the church in Galatia in that moment. And, you know, I, as I said, many of these new converts were Jews. They were Jewish. And I, I think that they were, obviously, they are struggling to overcome the desires of the flesh. And all they had known in their life was, up until the point of receiving Jesus, was the sin nature and the law. And they had been taught their whole life that the law was the answer when it came to sin. Right? It was a law that made you in right standing before God. 
So this is what they, the way they had been raised. This is what they had been taught. To live, living according to the law was the solution to their sin problem. So what did they do when they messed up? They received Jesus, but they didn't have an understanding of his grace and the freedom that came with that. So what did they do when they messed up? They reverted back. And they thought that obedience to the law would bring their sinful desires into check and keep them in right standing before God. Somebody say, wrong. (laughs) I'm telling you it's wrong. It's wrong. But in reality, what they were trying to do is they were trying to solve a spiritual problem with physical answers. The answer is the Holy Spirit. The fleshly nature can only be overcome as we surrender to the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we try to do it in our own strength, if we try to overcome the flesh in our own strength, then we're rejecting the only power that can actually make the difference. Do you see that? That's why Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And notice he says, when he says walk by the Spirit, it's a command, right? It's not something that God does for you. You have to make a choice in your life to walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. It's a choice that we make. And and by the way, the word walk infers process and progress, doesn't it? Remember I talked a couple weeks ago about how as believers we're not perfect, but we should be moving forward and we should be in process and we should be making progress. That's what the word walk implies here. This is how we are to live our lives. We are to be pushing forward, taking ground. He tells us to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. So as a Christ follower who has been declared free, that's what you've got to do. You've got to choose to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and understand that it's only the Holy Spirit that gives us life. Life abundant in this earth, it's by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you real quick before we go to the last point. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, it says, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. Look at verse 5. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. Look, this covenant is not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The law, the laws that used to make us clean or unclean before God, they end in death. But it's the Spirit that gives life. Amen? So it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live a life pleasing to God. The law of the New Testament is the law of love. And that brings us to the last thing I want to mention in verse 3. Walking in the Spirit requires surrender and obedience. He said to walk in the Spirit. Guys, that means surrender and obedience. And for all of us, like I said, this has been a struggle at times because, again, we've got an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And we've, we, we've, still got this, we've still got this flesh that sometimes wants its own way. 
So we've got to choose surrender and obedience to the Spirit. And here's the thing. There's this struggle going on. There's the enemy. And then there's our fleshly desires. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes the fight winnable, guys. Without him, it's not. We're going to fail. But the Holy Spirit puts us over. It's more than a winnable fight with him. So what are the fleshly desires Galatia was dealing with? Paul mentions this uh, if you go down to verse 19, Galatians 5, 19. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorceries, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and how's he end it? And things like these. I love that he says that because other versions say, and other sins like this is what other versions say. So he's, he's basically, he's mentioning, I believe he's mentioning issues that were specific to the church in Galatia. They were struggling with this stuff at this point. And he's writing to them and he's mentioning it and he's calling it out. But I love that he ends like that because he's saying, guys, this is not an exhaustive list. Anything else that's of the flesh, any other sins like these, it's the work of the flesh. So basically, nobody could... Nobody could look at this list and say, well, um, I don't deal with outbursts of angers and I've never dealt in sorcery. I must be good. Nope. Guys, remember the bullseye again? It's all about perfection, right? We can't go down and check off. I got that one and 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 that one, whatever else. No, he's saying that, you, that if you live to please the flesh and not to please the spirit, Guys, you can't expect good fruit to come forth from your life, right? There will be a price to pay. And he goes on in verse 21 and says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoo, makes you sweat a little bit, right? Now, guys, I don't believe it's saying there from that list of sins, I don't believe it's saying that a Christian who gets drunk is going to hell. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all, Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I, I see from a different perspective. I do believe that somebody who's an unbeliever who wants to get out of hell free card and decides to recite a prayer without any intent of repentance or life change or anything else and thinks they're good are sorely mistaken. I fear for you, okay? But in the Bible, the kingdom of God isn't generally referring to heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, right? We've experienced the kingdom of God when we send our life to Jesus by living a spirit-led life. The kingdom of God is here, guys. You can experience the kingdom of God right here on earth living the spirit-led life. You can, as a believer, make a different choice and walk in bondage to sin. And you will not experience the fullness of the kingdom of God in the earth. You see that? If you choose to live your life in sin, you're going to be a miserable, sourpuss, Christ follower, Christian, whatever label you intend to use. Let me mention something I was just thinking this morning. There is fruit coming forth from your life, whether you like it or not, right? There's fruit coming forth. 
As believers, we've been grafted into the vine. We're now part of the family of God, right? And if that's true, that good fruit that's part of the tree should be coming forth from us as well. So if you're walking in the Spirit, you're producing the fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking according to the flesh, what are you going to produce? The fruit of the flesh, right? We have to put our sin and our flesh behind us because we can't ignore it. We can't ignore those areas in our lives the Holy Spirit points out. Those areas he points out in moments and says, hey, we need to work on this area in your life. We can't put those things aside and ignore them. The Bible tells us we are to be crucified with Christ, right? It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives through us, right? It's that whole live to die thing we talked about last week. Doesn't make any sense of the world. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit is with us. And if we allow him, he will lead you and he will guide you and he will empower you to live a life that is pleasing to God. And as you follow his leading, he will produce fruit in your life. What are the fruit again? Say it with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So a minute ago, Paul lists all these sins, right? He lists all these sins of the flesh. And I was talking about how easy it is, it can be for people to make them check boxes to check off, you know, in their life. Sins they hadn't committed. You realize it's just as wrong to do the same thing with the fruit of the Spirit? You could use the fruit of the Spirit. You can check those out. Well, I'm patient. Everybody says I'm kind. I must be good. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, right? These things don't save us. They're evidence of the work that God did in our life. They're evidence of the work the Holy Spirit did, but they don't save us. They're not check boxes for us to check off in our lives. They should be coming out of us. But even unbelievers can be good, right? And kind and patient and have some self-control, right? But there's a difference. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in us by the Spirit when we choose to walk according to the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. It's what I was just talking about. Surrender and obedience, right? The true fruit of the Spirit isn't produced by human effort. It's produced by the Spirit as we surrender and live in obedience to His Word, right? You guys see where I'm going? Y'all been quiet for weeks. But this does not mean, because, just because the Spirit is the one who produces the fruit, this does not mean that we just sit by idly having no responsibility and putting forth no efforts. We're still responsible for our faith, aren't we? We're responsible for our life. I read a quote online when I was reading about this the other day. It said, uh, it was actually by Charles Stanley. He said, the fruit of the Spirit does not pop out of believers through effort. Christians bear fruit through surrender. We take root in the Lord by meditating on his word, by praying and by serving. We reserve nothing for ourselves to control, but we fully rely on him. This is not passive living. 
I love that. It's an abiding life. We are never called to sit by and live a passive life for God. We have responsibility. We are to put forth effort. If we try to produce the fruit of the Spirit on our own efforts, if you're trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your own effort, guys, you're going back again to bondage of your own efforts. Can you see that? When that happens, the fruit of the Spirit just becomes law again. By which we judge and criticize others generally. So it's a work of the Holy Spirit who is producing the life of Christ. He is the one that makes us like Jesus as we surrender to him and his work in our lives. So as I said, as a as a spirit-filled church that exercises the gifts of the Spirit through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we don't always talk a whole lot about the fruit of the Spirit. But here's the deal, guys. It's the fruit of the Spirit in us that gets people's attention and draws people to Jesus. It's our love. It's our actions. It's our reactions. It's when everybody, things are going on in the world and everybody's in a tizzy and upset and anxious about what's going to happen next. And you are calm and cool because you know who's in control. They're going, why aren't you, why aren't you upset? Aren't you concerned? Aren't you scared? No, I'm really not. I trust God, right? It's the fruit of our lives. People recognize that fruit and they desire it for themselves. It's attractive. I mean, Jesus mentions the fruit early on in his ministry. As I've said before, the reality is the fruit of the Spirit is the foundation for the gifts of the Spirit. I would go so far as to say trying to exercise the gifts of the Spirit without first having the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit can be very destructive. Because here's the deal. The gifts of the Spirit operate out of love. Do you see that? So when it comes to grace and freedom, what does it boil down to? It boils down to the law of love. What should be coming forth from our life as we're led by the Spirit should be the fruit of the Spirit. What are the fruit again? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And before I close, let me mention this. You know, the word, the word fruit can be singular or plural, right? Um, you, you don't look at an apple tree full of apples and go, wow, look at all those fruits. You would say, wow, look at all that fruit, right? But many theologians believe that the word fruit here that's translated is actually singular. That there is actually one fruit of the Spirit, and that that fruit is love, and that everything else is actually a byproduct. Everything else flows. All the other fruit that we see, they all flow out of that one. They all flow out of love. We need <laughs> to keep the law of love. And I love the fact, we, I hadn't read it each time, but at the end of verse 23, what's the last thing he says? 
Against such things there is no law. I think that's a great way to end it because he's writing to the church in Galatia. Many of them are Jewish. And I just see him basically here saying, you want to keep the law? You want to keep the law? Do these things and you won't miss any of it. Do these things. Keep the law of love. It's all been fulfilled in Jesus. We should live his love out loud in our sphere of influence. Want to be a witness like Jesus commanded? Live out of love in every area of your life. I, I personally think the world outside of the church has heard a lot of preaching and too little love for a long time. I think we need to increase the level of love about a hundredfold. And we'll see the world turned upside down for Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, you guys know, the fruit of the Spirit can touch the hardest of hearts out there. We've got to surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. We've got to choose to grow and live a Spirit-led life. If we do that, we will bear, as Jesus said, much good fruit. And your world will never be the same. It's all about love. Amen? Let's stand up. I'm going to have the worship team come up as we close out here. Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. First and foremost... If you have not surrendered to the saving grace of Jesus, you you know down deep inside, whether you're living for yourself or whether you're living for him. Please don't wait another moment. Please don't wait. Life is life is so short. We only get one shot at it. Make Jesus the center of it today. Surrender your life. Like I said, you you can't pray some empty prayer with no intention of surrendering your life or making any kind of changes. Nope. When we pray and we ask Jesus to come into our heart, we are laying our life down. We're putting sin and shame and guilt and all these things behind us. And we're choosing to allow him to live through us from this day forward. To the world, that sounds like bondage. (laughs) But I would argue, you know you're already in bondage. In reality, what Jesus brings is a freedom that will take that condemnation and that shame and those burdens, like, like Ms. Crystal said this morning, those, those burdens you've been carrying, he'll take them from you. And you can truly live in freedom. Is there anybody here today that would say, I need to give my life to Jesus? Lift your hand and let me see if that's you. Lift your hand boldly. Anybody in this place? would say, 
I need to get my life right with the Lord. Maybe you've done it before, but you recognize that your life is not right with him right now. Come on, guys, rededicate your life. Get it, get it straight. Anybody here? You may be watching online. We've had 50 to 60 families watching online this morning. If that's you, just surrender your life right now. Make the decision that from this day forward, things are going to change. Jesus is going to be the one that I live for. I'm turning my back on my old life, and I'm going to move forward with him. We're going to pray a prayer. If you mean it with all your heart, the Bible says that you become a new creation. You become a part of the family of God. You become one of become one of God's kids and he's going to take care of you I promise you he loves you so much he's standing in front of you with arms open wide that's you just pray with us pray something like this just just say father I am so sorry for thinking I knew what was best for trying to live my life without you for trying to gratify my selfish, fleshly desires, for living an empty life, void of purpose, wandering around aimlessly. But Father, I recognize that you chose me. Because of you, I, I do have purpose. There's things you want me to do and you love me so much. Today, I choose to receive that love. Today, I accept the sacrifice of Jesus for my sins. Those sins that have separated me from you for so long. Jesus, thank you for paying the price. Thank you for taking my punishment. Thank you for taking my place. I turn from my old ways. I repent. I'm not looking back. And I declare today that Jesus, you are my Lord. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Not looking back. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me. To be everything you called me to be. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that, we're going to put up a link in a minute for the connection card again. I just ask you to check. There's a checkbox there to mark. I, I gave my life to the Lord. I rededicated my life. Or I want to be water baptized. We want somebody. We, we want your information. We want to reach out to you and, and, um, and, and give you uh, one to celebrate with you. Being a new creation. Being part of the family of God. The Bible says that even the angels of heaven celebrate one turns comes back to the Father. We also want to give you some direction. We want to be there for you along this new journey of life. If you're here and in person, we're going to have our prayer partners and elders, pastors down here at the front at the end and just come up and tell somebody, say, I, I got my life right to the Lord today. I made some decisions. Let them talk with you. Let them pray with you for just a few minutes. We're not going to keep you all afternoon but we're not meant to walk this alone. But guys, the last thing I was thinking, 
you may be here and you may recognize that you're a Christ follower, but you really need to surrender. And I can give you a gauge on that. What does the fruit of your life look like? What would the people at work, what would they say about you? What would your spouse say about you? What would your fellow classmates say about you? They're the ones that see the fruit of your life. What is it that's coming out? Is it the fruit of the spirit or is it the fruit of the flesh? I know sometimes it's a little of both. <laughs> I know. But are you quick to repent? And are you quick to turn away from it? And to move forward walking in the spirit? Where are you at? As we end with one more worship song, I want everybody just to worship for just a moment. I want you just to close your eyes and I want you to just press in for a minute. And I want you to examine your heart and your life and look, if you need to repent, then repent, guys, come on. You're forgiven. But repentance is for you. It's for you to recognize those areas of your life and say, no more, I'm done with it. Lord, I'm yours and I'm moving forward with you. As you do that, the fruit of your life will begin to change. And it'll be the fruit of the spirit that's bubbling out. Not the other junk that you feel convicted and condemned about. Let's press in. And let's surrender for the Lord for just a moment. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.